This is the Peak Cast, presented by Strive 365, where we strive to eliminate childhood trauma while equipping youth to become resilient and better our community. We discuss social and emotional issues affecting today's time while bringing you experienced leaders to discuss diverse topics in a fun and informative way. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Cast. Uh, today we have a guest that someone who has been very involved with trauma uh, even before we started. Uh, he has really, really made a difference uh, to the community of Milwaukee. And uh, you're going to learn a lot about how to build relationships in this episode. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest and then I'm going to have them actually talk a little bit about themselves, which most people don't like to do, but I'm sure um, this gentleman is going to share a lot. So uh, I want to welcome Tim Grove. Um, Tim, if you want to talk about your organization of St. A's and a little bit about yourself, that'd be awesome. Sure. Thanks, Hassan. Uh, we at St. A like to brag about the fact that we've been in Milwaukee for 170 years, which uh, is pretty cool, right? And over that 170 years, we've been really working to support uh, kids and families in a number of different ways. Our mission has as its first active item right now, equity. It also talks about healing, wellness, and learning. And it, you talked about relationship, Hassan, sort of how we talk about creating those outcomes is by restoring connections. And these yep. connections between kids and their families, between families and their communities, frankly, sort of weaving a bit of a human spider web, if you will, of connection is what we're all about. So, you know, ironically, too, um, I, I just gra I recently graduated uh, with my MBA at Carnegie Stratis University, and I had uh, I had an opportunity to do some research about um, organizations similar to Strive 365. And like the number one organization popped up was St. A's <laughs> with like trauma informed care. I'm like, all right, I need to do some research because you guys are probably the biggest players in Milwaukee right now. And so I had a, um, a chance to uh, interview Ann Grove and she provided great background about, uh, you know, your, um, your five pillars and just like how you guys originated, how you started. And I think uh, that was very informational. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Um, but can you guys tell us, can you tell us, Tim, a little bit more about, you know, your trauma-informed care? What do you guys do? Yeah. How do you guys provide that? Yeah, so at the heart of trauma-informed care is uh, recognition that adversity and overwhelming adversity often can become trauma is far too common. So, you know, if you're sitting there listening to this podcast or watching this podcast and you're thinking, well, why should I care about this? There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. Why does this deserve my attention? We like to argue that adversity and trauma are really outcomes of sort of the negative manifestations of who we are as humans. And when those manifestations take root in a community, you see a lot of really bad stuff. You see people who are a little more cold and callous to each other. You see tribalism and racism and all the other isms sort of get worse. You also see health outcomes and mental health outcomes get significantly worse. 
So when we unpack what adversity and trauma is about, it becomes pretty clear that there are two pretty broad conclusions. It is far too common, but here's where the silver lining comes in. If you think about it, if we can do this one thing really well, we can have impact on all those problems. We can sort of scale back the mental health outcomes. We can scale back the physical health outcomes. We can scale back tribalism. We can scale back the isms. And probably more importantly, we can get back, we call it restoring connections to who we were meant to be as humans in relationship with each other, in stimulating and rewarding ways. And for most people, that's not what's going on right now. And for survivors of trauma, that's really hard to do because their core message has been, humans have hurt me. So if you're one of those people trying to help someone who's been burned by humans, it helps to know a little bit about some of the themes and characteristics that those people navigate the world with so you can overcome their resistance and hesitation and build lasting connection. And that's huge. I mean, uh, especially, I think one point that I really found interesting you talked about is people being burned um, mm -hmm. by different relationships, which causes them to think about, oh, do I want to build another relationship with this person? Yeah. Or if they sense like a, a any red flag from someone, they might, they might not want to engage in a conversation. Um, Tim, that kind of is a really, really crazy point to think about, um, but you talked about how long you guys have been around. I mean, that's incredible to be around that long. Us being in our uh, first year, not even first year, 10 months we've been around now, um, going to reach a year um, come in January. You guys have been around for so long. How are you able to maintain and develop these services? And are you adapting, um, especially with COVID going on? And what's some of the struggles and some of the obstacles you face um, when you have to change up a little bit? Or do you just kind of keep going with the same things that are working? Yeah, it's a great question, Hassan. Part of what we believe is that if you anchor in core values and then evolve and adjust to the changing times, it's part of the recipe for long-term success. So our services have been different. For example, up until about four or five years ago, we had a residential program where boys between the ages of six and 15 who couldn't live in their communities or with their families would come live with us. We made a very hard and painful decision to stop that program about four or five years ago. That's one of the examples of evolving. We wanted to focus our efforts more what they call upstream, right? So if I'm a 14 year old kid who's had a lot of bad stuff happen and I've been through multiple placements in the system, the foster care system, the child welfare system, to use your analogy, Hassan, when I'm 14, I've been burned a lot. Mm -hmm. And so we know from all the good science out there that if we can sort of access that kid when he's six or even maybe eight or nine, the potential to create a more transformative outcome is exponentially higher. 
So it was part of our decision to say, you know, I don't think that service is the right service for us moving forward. So part of what we've done is stayed anchor in those core values of equity, healing, wellness, learning, but been pretty flexible with the services required to meet those core values. And, you know, you mentioned there's a number of remarkable people and agencies doing trauma-informed care work. We've got great connections and partnerships. We've been, frankly, good students. And I would tell people that being a good student is probably the best ingredient to be a good teacher. Um, so we've learned from the likes of Dr. Rob Anda and Laura Porter from the ACEs or Adverse Childhood Experiences world. Dr. Bruce Perry has been a mentor and friend because we've known him for 12 years. We've had the opportunity to kind of take from some of the world's leading minds on stress and trauma and kind of curate that information into something of a trauma-informed recipe. And we've taught that recipe to about 60,000 people over the past 12 years. And it just literally lifts my sort of spirit to think that there are all those people out there like you all thinking about using this frame to help kids, to help families get stronger, overcome some of that hesitation about being burned and take a little bit of risk again. You were kind of talking about the word lift. Uh, so that takes us to our next segment. It's called the facelift. Um, so JP, I see you smiling. His face is already lifted. Um, <laughs> he's the one who came up with this uh, idea. Um, so we fa FACES stands for foster resilience, act with empathy, cultivate change, establish trust, and serving the youth. Um, Tim, I have no doubt that you've done all five of these probably today. Um, however, I would love to hear one example that has sure. really occurred that you would like to share with the audience where you've used one of these uh, one of these letters. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's interesting when thinking about sort of which story to tell, the one that overwhelmingly comes to mind is the story of a girl. Uh, she's a young woman now that I met a number of years ago. And when I met her, she was struggling. She was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse perpetrated by her father uh, for a number of years. And, you know, anyone who knows the stories or knows that experience knows how overwhelming and difficult and traumatic it can be. And the very first time we met, I think about the relationship to sort of fostering resiliency in her. And I think it's an important way to think about how we're starting to understand what resiliency is. So I remember asking her over the phone about some of how her body and brain would react to being scared. And what I was focusing on is there are two types of ways generally people react to being scared. We call one of them the Incredible Hulk way, right? where people gear up for fight or flight, athletes know this well, 
It's partly why when you sprain an ankle during an event, you can keep going because your arousal stress response, the cortisol, the adrenaline sort of allows you not to necessarily register all that pain and sort of uh, overcome, right? We all know when you get in the locker room three hours after the game, it hurts like hell. But, you know, five minutes after the ankle got sprained, a lot of people are able to go on. The other lesser known part of how people sort of respond to being scared, though, is what we call dissociative. And it's a very different kind of response. People describe it as kind of crawling up into myself. Sometimes people get spacey and lightheaded. In Hulk stress response, what we technically call arousal, you have high heart rate, you have cortisol, you have adrenaline, your muscles are twitching, you know, the, the kind of typical fight or flight response. In dissociative, there's a very different outcome. Your heart rate can actually drop. We've worked with a number of kids whose heart rate dropped to 40 or 50 beats per minute. That's, by the way, after it was pumping out at about 150, 160. So if you think about when you get off a treadmill or a bike, your heart rate de-escalates slowly, depending on how good a shape you're in, but it generally only goes back to baseline. So when your heart rate goes 20, 30, 40 beats per minute below baseline, that tells us there's a different kind of stress response at play. So this girl's primary stress response process was this dissociative response. And once you teach people about that, you can give them kind of a cursory way to look for it. So let me go back to when I first met her. This was actually over the phone. I remember asking her some questions like, do you ever have times where you lose track of time? It seems like a minute went by and it actually was two or three hours. Do you ever have times where you get sleepy and just want to kind of go take a nap even during the middle of the day? And I remember her response, even though it was many years ago, like it was yesterday, there was a pause. To me, it felt like about two hours. It was probably more like five seconds. And she said, how did you know? And I have to tell you, it was really the beginning of a relation or resiliency fostering process in the midst of that relationship, where later on she said, these are really important words for anybody out there trying to build relationship. It seemed to me that he had done his homework, that he genuinely cared, that they knew what they were talking about. I say all that because her journey led her to a place where she has sort of done amazing work to recover from her trauma. And what we did by being trauma informed, if you will, and relationally centric was help her find some stability, which, which brought her assets forward. So she's a remarkable, funny young lady, but it's hard to be funny when you're struggling to survive from trauma. She's a remarkably smart young lady, but it's hard to be smart when you're struggling to survive from trauma. So by creating some of that stability, by sort of stabilizing the intensity of her stress response, 
we were able to sort of allow her natural abilities to blossom. And I would argue that's a pretty good way to think about what resiliency is. In the Western world, we tend to think of resiliency as grit and persistence, and that's all true. But resiliency is much more accurately thought of as a both and. It's hard to find your grit and resilience when you've been oppressed for hundreds of years. It happens, there are occasions when it happens and they're truly remarkable, beautiful stories. But from an aggregate point of view, resilience, grit, persistence is much easier to pull out when there's some degree of equity, fairness, and stability. So hers is a remarkable story. And really, you know, the credit goes to her. All we did was use some of these concepts we've been teaching people to help her think about what was going on with her brain and body differently, to normalize it a little bit and kind of free her up to become her best self. That's incredible, Tim. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. Um, and I know um, that that's not easy to do, um, but I'm very proud of what you guys are doing and that that I know she will make a difference to people because now she understands a lot of these concepts and how important they are. And it's just beautiful to see someone go from a struggle to their success point. And then they're going to learn that these concepts and these methods are going to help them throughout anything in life. Um, so yeah, I amen. That. Um, heartbeat so, thing too is really interesting. And because uh, for me and my students that I work with, I'm always thinking that they're always going to react mm -hmm. quite right away. But next time if I see a student that's maybe more hidden or kind of closed off, that they may be experienced a slow heartbeat rate where things are going really slow for them or it may be two hours past. And, you know, it may just feel like two minutes or something like that. So I'm going to take that into consideration. So thanks for sharing. Thank you guys for listening to part one of our episode with Tim Grove. Uh, looking forward to releasing part two to you as well this week. So stay tuned and be ready to learn more. Thank you guys. Enjoy. <laughs>